Well, it's great to be with you all as we continue in our series entitled History, as Jenna said, and we've been looking at the subject of biblical prophecy. And I just want to say thank you again for all of your encouraging emails and messages. I'm glad that this series is blessing you. Um, we, we started this a few weeks ago and the first talk was why is biblical prophecy important and we looked at some of those reasons uh, the second talk we looked at the question are we near the end uh, does, is God aware of everything that's happening around us and if so what does he have to say about it and how do we respond and then last week we looked at our first of our biblical uh, events of the end times which was the rapture of the church uh, what happens before the tribulation period. And uh, if, any, if you missed any of those, you can, of course, catch up on our website or our mobile app. And I'd encourage you to do so because, as I said last week, this series aims to uh, break up the subject of biblical prophecy and take us step by step. So, as uh, Richard and I were discussing earlier in the service, we get to the point in our series where we look at the second biblical event that we're looking at, which is, yes, you guessed it, the tribulation period. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I, I, I would rather not be um, talking about this. In fact, the conversation that the Lord and I have been having over the past few days has been something along the lines of this. Lord, do I have to do this? Yes, Mark. But Lord, I'm sure people don't want to hear about this. Like, it's not a nice period of time these seven years. Mark, it's my word. I know it's your word, but can't I just talk about, why don't we just skip over it? Mark, preach my word. But they're not going to like it, Lord. Okay, I'm, I'm being honest, fear of man here. But what are they going to say? Mark, my word will always accomplish that which I have set forth for it to accomplish. So I kind of stopped complaining and I said okay Lord so uh, <laughs> here we are we are going to talk about the subject of the tribulation and because the reality is it is a real event that is coming and um, you know there's a whole book Revelation devoted to it and not just Revelation you know it's talked about in Daniel in fact even Jesus talks about the tribulation in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 so it is incumbent upon me as I preach the full counsel of the Word of God to talk about this. And as Richard said, there's, you know, much confusion. What is this strange period of time called the Tribulation? Uh, you know, for those of you growing up as a Christian, you know, there's old, old conversations around, you know, the mark of the beast and the 666 and this and the other, and who's the false prophet? And I've had, you know, emails from people saying, I, I, someone once mentioned the Antichrist was this person or the false prophet was this person. So what I want to do in the talk today is try and, as clearly as I can, um, tell you what the Bible says about the tribulation. And so what, what I'm going to do first is uh, look at the events of the tribulation. I'm then going to look at the conditions for the tribulation, what needs to be in place for the tribulation. And lastly, and this will be the fun bit, um, our response to the tribulation. You know, what does it mean for us today then, Mark? And I think that's a very good question. So let's look at the first one, the events of the tribulation. And as I said at the start of this um, series, this is not a detailed Bible study going through the book of Revelation. Uh, what I'm trying to do is give you a, a bird's eye view, if you like, a 40,000 foot view of it so that um, you are aided and you understand the key parts. And maybe that is a launching pad for you to dive a bit deeper. And as I said last week, you know, I'll aim to get some resources put together for, for people that are interested. So let's look at the events of the tribulation. I will try and summarize and I'm going to do so 
in three parts. No surprise there, hey, uh, on three parts. Right, number one, what is the tribulation period? It is a time of unrestrained evil. We need to understand, and I, I think we're all on the same page here, that the devil wants to be exalted. He wants to be worshipped, not God. And we know that that is how we fell. He wanted to be on the throne. He wanted to be worshipped. That was always his plan from the moment in the garden when he deceived Adam and Eve. And uh, he hasn't stopped that plan. He wants to be worshipped and exalted. But you see, what we need to understand, and we'll see this in a moment, up until the tribulation period, evil, or he has been restrained. There has been a restraint. But you see, what happens at the start is that of the tribulation is that the restraint is removed. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians together, 2, 1 and 8. And last week when we looked at the rapture, we looked at what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. And so he starts, it's 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 8, says this, Concerning the coming of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, he say, he, what he's saying is, listen, concerning what I wrote to you about it last time, which we looked at, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by a word or mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Clearly, there was some teaching going around that said, it's happened, it's, it's done. And they're like, what? No one told us that. And then Paul continues at verse 3, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, now the man of lawlessness is another name for the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. We looked to that, didn't we? That the devil wants to be worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And um, we're going to look at this in a bit more detail in a moment. And he continues, Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? They obviously spoke about it. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed in the proper time. Proper time. Whose time? God's appointed time. Why? Because we are in his story. Not the devil's story, not our story, but God's story. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, and we see that abound, don't we, today? But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way, and then... The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will... And, he, and Paul gives you, now the end of the seven-year tribulation, overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. That's the second coming of Jesus, and we're going to look at that next week. Don't miss that. It's going to be exciting. And so what we read here, you see, is that there has been a restraint which has not an, enabled the, the devil to reveal himself in this way, the, 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 the lawless one. And there's much debate around who is the restrainer. Is it the archangel, Gabriel? Uh, is it God himself? Is it the Holy Spirit? Well, many biblical scholars say the restrainer is the Holy Spirit in the church, working in the church. You see, when the church... Listen, is raptured, the restraint is removed, and then the Antichrist is revealed. 
That's another reason for the pre-tribulation rapture. Not a post-tribulation, not a mid-tribulation, but a pre-tribulation rapture. You see, there is a sequence of events here. Now you say, well, how does that work, Mark? Well, we know, do we not? Jesus himself said in Matthew 5 that we are the salt and the light. Now, what does salt do? Salt is a preservative. They used it to put on meat in order to hold back the ensuing decay. But you take the salt out and the restraint is removed. And so the church, as we extend God's kingdom every way and everywhere, once his church is removed, the restraint is taken. And so that then marks the start of the tribulation period. And what we see is some characters, some key characters. In fact, three key characters um, within this period of time. The dragon is referenced. That is Satan, who gives power to the second character, which is the beast of the sea, is called, which is the Antichrist. And then there's a third character, which is the false prophet, who is often referred to as a second beast. And essentially the false prophet is the Antichrist's right-hand man. He causes everyone to worship the beast, the Antichrist. Now, look and listen and see what this is showing. You see, this is a false and unholy trinity. Do you see this? Why? Because the devil is mimicking and mocking God. I've got to tell you, the devil is not original. He, he is not original. The devil does not create. He only corrupts. You see, the devil counterfeits. And that is what is happening here. And so what happens with these characters of the dragon empowers the Antichrist who will emerge on the scene as a world leader bringing peace. Daniel 9, 27. You see... Um, it's not just in Revelation, the tribulation period, but you see Daniel many, many, many thousands of years before where we are now. And before the book of Revelation was written, which was about AD 80, between AD 80 and AD 90, says this, he, which is the Antichrist, this is Daniel 9, 27, will confirm a covenant or an accord um, or a peace deal with many for one seven, which is um, what's often called, this is Daniel's 70th week. One seven is seven years. And in the middle of the seven years, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out onto him. In other words, he comes in peace. There is a, he confirms a peace deal with many nations, with Israel, but halfway into that, he will go into the temple and he will say, worship me. And uh, lest you think this is not relevant, Jesus himself in Matthew 24, when talking about the tribulation period, says this. So when you see, this is verse 15 to 16. So when you see standing in the holy place, the temple, the, and then it's quotes, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel. So in other words, it has yet to be fulfilled. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Because at that point, in the mid uh, part of the tribulation, what was seemingly someone that came in peace, his true colors are revealed and says, worship me as God. 
You see, he comes with peace initially, but it is a false peace that he uses to unite the world and lull the world into a feast, a false sense of security. He, he promises the much-looked-for utopian world. But during that midway point, what we read in Revelation is that the Antichrist is mortally wounded, but he is healed, and the world says, oh, surely he must be God. And at that point, he goes into the temple and desecrates the temple and declares himself as God. And it is at that point, at the midway through, that he causes people to wear the mark of the beast. But let me tell you that evil is only allowed in this tribulation period for seven years. And at the end of the seven-year period, Jesus returns with his church and the devil is thrown into the lake of fire for a thousand years and we see the start of the millennial reign of Christ. And as we look at the second coming next week, we're going to look at that millennial reign. And so I have just given you a very quick overview then of that first point that it is a time of unrestrained evil. It is a time where the devil seeks to establish his kingdom. He seeks to be worshipped. He seeks everyone to worship him. The second point about the events of the tribulation is that it is a time of God's judgment and mercy. You see, as we see that arc, that seven years of um, the evil, the unrestrained evil, in parallel to that, during the seven years, it is a time of God's judgment and mercy. You know, when you read Revelation, what you see is three key things related to God's judgment. They are the seven seals are broken at the start, and these are called the seal judgments. And if you want to read those, those are in chapters 6 and 8. And then there are the seven trumpets which are blown, which bring seven judgments upon the world. And I mentioned those, uh, some of those last week. A third of the sun and moon are darkened. A third of the fresh waters contaminated. And then after that, the third section of the seven bowls are poured out. Seven judgment bowls. Isn't it interesting? Seven, you see where six represents man. Seven represents divine completion. That is what seven represents. Now I want to say at this point, and I'm not going to dive into the detail of these judgments, if you wish to read those you can do so. Let me just say these are not fun judgments. But I want to tell you this, this is not a God who is eager to, who is looking forward to. It's not some horrible God that's up there in heaven doing this and I can't wait until the tribulation period because boy I'm going to have some fun. Not at all. All. Rather, this is a God who uses his judgment to cause people, listen, to repent and turn back to him. See, God's judgments in this period are intended to bring people back to him. And we see this in the Bible before. Look at what happened with um, the Israelites in Egypt and Pharaoh. Pharaoh, a type of Satan, not letting the people go. And the, and the plagues were in order that Pharaoh would repent. And we know that his heart was hardened. You see, these judgments are intended to reveal the sin and need for God. But you see, you read this almost haunting echo in the scriptures around these judgments. It says at the end of each judgment, but they did not repent and give him glory. That therefore being the objective of the judgment of God. Say, listen, 
listen, turn to me and I will relent. Even you see till the very end, listen, of this seven years, God is extending his mercy and wanting people to turn to him. And that leads me to the third part of the events of the tribulation. It is a time of great revival. You know, during the last seven bold judgments, God sends, um, in Revelation 11, you can read this, two witnesses who proclaim the gospel, saying, repent. And God gives them miraculous powers to accompany their message. And no one can stop them in their work. And their message is, repent. Repent. God is merciful. Repent. This is the good news. And in addition to that, there are also, as we read, 144,000 witnesses who are sealed to spread the good news of the gospel, saying, repent. This is the good news. God loves you. And in addition to those two, we also read in Revelation chapter 14, 6, that an angel declares the gospel the good news of Jesus. You see, we can see that the tribulation period is a time of unrestrained evil where the devil's true colours are shown to a world. We see that it is a time of God's judgment but also of mercy. And we see it is a time of great revival. And let me read you this, Revelation 7, 9. After this, referring to the seven-year tribulation period, I looked, and this is John, Apostle John, um, seeing this, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. You see, there will be a great revival that happens through the tribulation period. God's mercy, God's love, the gospel of Jesus will be proclaimed. And many, having seen what unrestrained evil looks like, having seen the devil's true colors, and having seen the sovereignty of God, will turn to God and repent and say, forgive us, we are in need of you, and God will save them for eternity. And so I hope that adds some clarity to what seemingly is a confusing time, the tribulation, but I, you might want to uh, re-watch some of this. I, I realize that uh, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of content here, but I'm, I'm hoping that you can review it. As I said, it's a time of unrestrained evil. It's a time of God's judgment and mercy, and it's a time of great revival. But let me move on, because I want to look at the second part, which is the conditions for the tribulation, having seen the events of, let's look at the conditions for. Because one would ask the question, well, is anything lined up for this tribulation period? You know, is it just something off a thousand years into the future? Um, and this is the point at which you cannot touch on his story, on biblical prophecy, without touching on Israel. You see, the tribulation requires, if you understand what the tribulation is, it requires there to be a nation of Israel for a few reasons, but I'm just going to give you two. 
The first is that the Antichrist will confirm or strengthen that peace treaty that I mentioned with Israel and many nations. That is what happens that we read in Daniel 9.27. And secondly, secondly, there needs to be the temple in order for the Antichrist to be seated in there and for him to be worshipped in there. You all kind of agree with that? Now, before I talk about Israel and God's plan for them, I, I, I do rather venture onto a subject of extremes, I have to say. You see, one extreme is that Israel can do no wrong. And it is joined by what I would call overt political commentary, and we see that typically from the US. But on the other side, and in some respects, you know, in response to that, uh, and also, in some ways, a, a kind of a, a not an, a full understanding of biblical prophecy, they believe that Israel has been completely replaced by the church and ignored, and God no longer has a plan for Israel. Well, um, you know, when you understand Daniel 9, and he talks about that 70th week period, you, you realize that it's regarding Israel as well. And in fact, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It is a time where God is getting the attention of Israel. And you can read about that in Romans 11.25. And so having said all that, and, and recognising that I, I'm verging on a subject of extremes, what I don't want to do is add any commentary and fall on either of those. I just want to show you, just plainly, what the Bible says, and we'll, and we'll leave it at that for you to assess. You see, the fact that we have a state of Israel... And whether you agree with, with what Israel doing, as I said, one of those extremes is that Israel can do, do no good. The fact that there is a country called Israel is in itself a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. If we want to understand his story, and if we want to understand what the Bible says, then we need to look at this. And so in Isaiah 66, verse 8, Isaiah prophesied that there would be the nation of Israel. Listen to this. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. And Ezekiel, a contemporary of Isaiah, said this in Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and you bring you back into your own land. Now, we need to, one of the questions would be, well, would that not refer to the Babylonian captivity? Well, we need to understand that Israel was just, or the Jews were in one country, Babylon. Ezekiel is saying very clearly here, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. And equally, when Isaiah is talking about this, you know, the reality was that when they went back out of exile, it wasn't established in one day. And so, the majority of biblical scholars will say that this reflects an upcoming plan that God had for Israel. Now, after um, 70 AD, when um, the Romans uh, ransacked the Second Temple and essentially the Jews, uh, Jerusalem was no more, um, they had no home. But in 1948, what happened? In one day, the state of Israel was born. Now, put aside any preconceptions, any thoughts, and just ask yourself the question, has there ever been a group of people 
who were scattered to the four winds that over the course of 1,948 years were able to, or, or less than that if you minus the AD 70, retain their identity and in one day, as God predicted through Isaiah and Ezekiel, they would be back in Israel. I mean, you have to look at this and think, wow. And then when you look at the tribulation, you see there has to be Israel. <laughs> and there has to be a third temple. You think, oh my word. You know, one of the things I shared with you at the start of this is that when you understand biblical prophecy, you respond by saying, wow, God really is in control. Wow, God really is sovereign. And you see, we are seeing biblical prophecy play out right now. And what about the temple? Well, you know, the Israelites, the, the uh, state of Israel, they have the temple ready to go, the third temple. In fact, the Temple Institute has all the plans ready. They have they've trained all the priests. They have all the implements. They are ready to go. Um, the thing holding them back is the Temple Mount and all the issues surrounding that, but you only have to see, and I'm not going into detail now about it, but you only have to see a lot of the geopolitics happening with Israel and the uh, Arab Gulf states at the moment to see there is movement in that. So all of that to say, we are seeing biblical prophecy play out in front of our very eyes. And I'll add one more thing. When the Apostle John wrote this in about AD 80, AD 90, that was when the temple had been ransacked. In other words, when he talked about the temple, at that, that mo moment there was no temple. This was talking about a future event. I don't know about you, but that just blows my mind. The fact that what was written by Ezekiel 2,800 years ago actually is coming and came to pass. So let me ask you guys the question. You know, could the tribulation happen about a thousand years ago? No. Could it happen 500 years ago? No. Could it happen a hundred years ago? No. 70 years ago? Maybe. Um, 50 years ago? 40 years ago? We seem to be in a time where his story is certainly lining up. But let me end with this. Thirdly, what's the response to the tribulation? Jesus. You know, I mentioned earlier that the devil tries to counterfeit. You know, he's not original. The whole tribulation period is a period of time where the devil tries to counterfeit the true king and the true kingdom. But let me read to you John 14.6. Are you listening? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Only Jesus brings peace. And that is peace with God. Only Jesus brings unity with one another through fellowship under him. Only Jesus brings healing of our souls. Only Jesus brings life in abundance for all eternity. You see, Jesus is only the way, the truth, and the light. To put it another way, the gospel message is this, Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And you see, that's what the tribulation shows to the world that are still undecided, 
The church is raptured before them, but as I said just earlier on, there will be many, it's, it's called the tribulation saints, that will come to know Jesus. They will see firsthand the counterfeit kingdom and the counterfeit king, and they will see the true God. And many will come to say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Well, I want to end it there. I hope that has been encouraging to you. I know we're dealing with a very um, detailed subject, but I hope that I've been able to present it to you in such a way that it summarizes the key points and you at least have an understanding and awareness of what the tribulation period is and how it fits in. Um, but with that, what I want to do is just say, lastly, if you are watching this or listening to me, whether it be on a Sunday or catch up, and you have yet to say yes to Jesus, you don't need to wait until you get to the tribulation period. <laughs> Today is a day of salvation, as it says in the scriptures. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And how do you say yes to Jesus? You admit that you're a sinner, that you are in need of a saviour. And you say, Jesus, would you come and be my Lord? If that's you, just pray that prayer. Bless you. I'm going to pray, guys. We're going to end the service now. And, uh, um, yeah, one I pray, uh, and then we'll end. Lord, I want to thank you that your word is truth, that you do not want us to be uninformed, but, Lord God, you want us to understand your story. And, Lord, I just pray for each one of us that as we, as we um, go about our week, that you would be with us, that you would bless us, that your face would shine upon us, that we would know your peace, and that we would know, Lord, the safety of being in your arms and that we would know your love in a tangible way, I pray. I ask this in your precious name. Amen. Well, bless you guys. Listen, in the chat, there are going to be words of knowledge. Uh, if any of those resonate with you and you say, well, hold on a minute, that's me. Yeah, I've got that ailment or I need prayer for that. Then do get prayer. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. Well, may the Lord bless you. Don't miss next week. Really exciting as we look at the second coming of Jesus at the end of that tribulation period. And uh, it's going to be just so glorious. So I look forward to seeing you online then. God bless you.